I'm A.O. Benny. I'm Kiki. And we are Todd. again for tuning into our podcast. This is Tired. I'm A.O. Benny. I'm Kiki. And we appreciate your continued listening to our podcast. So before we begin, we just want to say thank you again for listening to us, but we want you guys to go out if you can and review each one of our um, distribution pl- uh, platforms that we have. So if you have Apple Podcasts, please review on Apple Podcasts. If you have Pocket Casts, please review on there. Anywhere where you can leave a review and a rating, please do so because it means a lot to us and it helps us out with knowing how we can improve on our um, content that we have. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So we're going to continue with our We Honor Black History Underrated Heroes uh, series. Uh, today we're going to be talking about two people in the important world of medicine. Uh, the first that we're going to be talking about is Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumbler. Now, Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumbler was born Dr. Re- was born Rebecca Davis in, in 1831. And she is known for being the first African-American woman physician in the United States. Yes. That is right. So the first black female doctor in the USA, we can credit that to Mrs. Rebecca Lee Crumpler or doctor. Um, and so she was born to... Absalom Davis and Matilda Weber and though I could not find um, the background of this apparently she was actually raised not by her parents but by her aunt in Pennsylvania and it was that aunt that would later um, actually inspire her or uh, based on her depictions was her inspiration for getting into the medical field but her aunt apparently was very involved in caring for the people who were sick in her neighborhood. And obviously, um, um, Rebecca was able to observe that and gained a lot of appreciation and respect for her aunt um, in that regard. And so in 1852, Rebecca moved to Charleston, Massachusetts. And that is where she began her um, time working in the medical field. And she worked as a nurse for eight years. And at that time, um, I think it was in 1864 that they started requiring nurses to have a form of license. At that time, I guess it was more of like a she was able to practice and be grandfathered in. Um, And so she there was no like um, formal training. So it was in 1860, though, that she was actually admitted to the New England Female Medical College. And it was there that she gained the title of first African-American woman to earn an M.D. degree. Which is a huge, huge deal at that that time. Like, I don't want us to underestimate how big of a deal this is. Well, you have to also think about the context of what it was. See, first of all, she was always a bright girl. Yeah. They they said that from the very beginning that she was very smart and everyone knew that. She also attended very elite private schools because she was so smart. And to be able to be, you have to be that smart in order to be able to be the only African-American during that time Mm -hmm. to be able to go into the medical field but you also have to think about the access of privilege that she had because she was born free she wasn't born a slave during this time that's right so that also gave her privilege to being able to achieve um such high degree of uh education Mm -hmm. because most people her age that were born in the south did not have this opportunity no yes so we think we're thankful for her but we're also being like you know conscientious about the context of where she's coming from Mm -hmm. so also but 19 but 1860 still was 1860 so it wasn't an easy feat for her to do Mm -hmm. she had to fight the racism the misogyny the the continuous harassment from her colleagues but she was able to still graduate but she was the only graduate ever from that school that was african-american because everyone else was white yeah 
Um, also, you have to think about 1860, how it was the turn of the new, uh, it was the turn of the new decade when um, Abraham Lincoln was running for president. There was a lot of revolution. There was a lot of abolitionism going on. So people were making changes. And so she made a bold decision by becoming the, by becoming like, you know, the only female of African-American descent to go into medical school. Yeah. So what we want to say is we do, you know, obviously we are able to speak of the fact that she had that opportunity um, being where she came from and not being a slave. But also let's not underestimate the struggles that she must have had to conquer mm -hmm. and the resilience she must have had to had in order to um, overcome and actually gain that title. So we definitely honor her for that and um so continuing on with her life um so she practiced in boston and um after that shortly she moved to richmond virginia um at the end of the civil war in 1865 um and it was there that she joined these other black physicians who were there to care for freed slaves because during that time, obviously, slaves did not have access to medical services, and so they were able to provide that to them, which is why representation and this this was really important because, you know, obviously, even though people were, were freed, technically, people did not see black people as a person. So you were free, but you were still property in a sense, you know what I mean? Like... And they also did not have any, like, respect as far as, like, oh, yeah, like, you deserve the same um, equal, you know, equitable access to the, the healthcare services that we have. So that's why it was so important for um, these Black people, especially people like Rebecca Lee Crumpler as the first, to um, have a place where those people could come to and be treated mm -hmm. um, as people. And um, so she worked with Freeman's Bureau as well as missionary and community groups and that's where she really like delivered her services and um yeah those they she experienced a lot of backlash and severe racism working um in the post-war era in the south she she still like she still overcame and she continued to do as such and in 1883 that is when she published her book titled book of medical discourses and that chronicles her experiences as a doctor and provides guidance on maternal and child health and from her book i want to read an excerpt um that she wrote and this is just to give you guys a background of her career and why she actually decided to go into it and this is where she also mentions her aunt and how she implicated that so here in her summary she says it may be well to state here that having been reared by a kind aunt in Pennsylvania whose usefulness with the sick was continually sought, I early conceived a liking for and sought every opportunity to relieve the sufferings of others. I think that's beautiful. Later in life, I devoted my time when best I could to nursing as a business, serving under different doctors for a period of eight years from 1852 to 1860. Most of the time at my adopted home in Charleston, Middlesex County, Massachusetts. From these doctors, I received letters commending me to the faculty of New England Female Medical College, whence four years afterwards, I received the degree of Doctorate of Medicine. So yeah, that's, that's really cool also to find out that, you know, people really honored her work, even during her time as a nurse. Um, other doctors, you know, saw her and saw 
that she was, um, yeah, like that she was doing um, great things in that role and, um, you know, obviously pushed her to um, continue and receive her medical license. Yeah. And the thing that makes it such an outstanding achievement is just that when you think about the numbers and statistics in her favor, that makes her like, you know, such a standout individual is because in 1860, there was a reported 54,543 physicians. And out of those 54,000, there was only 300 that were women. And out of those 300, there was only one that was African-American. Wow. So you think about those numbers, you think about someone being able to trial through all of those hurdles that she went through and still was able to be successful, graduate, and still lead a successful business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... Yeah, it's great. Like, she was definitely... Like, you can't take that away. You can't take that away from her. Not only was she she the first, but, yeah, she was just... Yeah, she was the first, and I feel like she just did... She started off for other people so and i guess that is yeah kind of she made history in that sense i mean yeah i mean there's so many other black doctors now because of her because Mm -hmm. she was able to pave the way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah we honor her and you know although i really did not know anything about her um yeah it's cool because not only was she the first as we're saying black doctor but she was also one of the first african-americans to be a published author at that time, which was very difficult, first of all. And she came out with a medical publication, as I mentioned, which was her book of medical discourses. And in that, we were able to, like, find out some of, like, the backstory of, like, who she was because there's not much um, out there. Obviously, during that time, it's hard to uh, record those things. Um, But as far as her personal life, it says that Crumpler, um, she eventually got married and she had two kids and... In the year of 1895, she passed away in Boston. Yeah, but we are continually thankful for her and all her achievements that she has done. Um, and thank you so much, Miss uh, Rebecca Crumbler, because, well, Dr. Crumbler, yep. because you earned that title. Mm-hmm. And we are so grateful to be able to say it. Yeah, very grateful. So the next underrated hero who we're going to be talking about is named Henrietta Lacks, and uh, you will come to know more about who she is, but let's start off with kind of her early life. So she was born August 1st, 1920 in Virginia, and um, she had an interesting childhood, I would say. Um, so I guess this was also, you know, kind of normal at the time, but she came from a poor family, and after her mother passed away in childbirth, um, her father could not provide for her and her other nine siblings. Ten siblings. Oh, and her and her other ten siblings. Oh. And so he sent them off to different family members. So Henrietta ended up um, staying um, with her grandparents. Yeah. And um, basically she had to share a room with her um, older cousin. So I don't want to focus on her older cousin too much because um, it is kind of interesting. So if you do want to read more about that um there is a book that was written by rebecca sloot and she wrote the book called the immortal life of henrietta Lacks, and she actually um talks to um henrietta Lacks's um husband and so um basically in that uh what i came to find out was that henrietta Lacks' husband his, his name was david 
um, who she had five kids with, was actually her first cousin. And um, so her sharing a room with him, we're not quite sure what happened, but by age 14, she had their first child. And by age 20, she was um, married to him. And so obviously this can highlight a lot of different things at that time, Um, whether it's, you know, it's normal or abnormal, whether that is right or wrong, you know, I guess we can't really get into that debate right now. But, you know, I'm just saying that as a as a young girl at age 14, um, she already had a child and, um, yeah, continued to um, have children with um, her first cousin who became her husband. So that was kind of an interesting um, detail that I learned. And like I said, if you want to learn more, um, do look into the book and that talks a little bit more about that part of her life. Um, but today we wanted to focus on um, who she is and why she is what we consider to be and what we should all consider to be a black um, hero. Yes, because um, the most important thing is that even though that did happen to her, she lived a hard life, but she was very determined at an early age. At the age of 14, she uh, became a tobacco farmer in order to provide for herself and her child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for those of you who know, tobacco farming is not easy work. That's hard, hard labor. And, but that's what she did, and that was the main um, uh, main job that she did for the most majority of her life. She never held a job that long, but when she did, that was what she did. So also, the thing that we have to talk about is what happened in 1951. Mm-hmm. So in 1951, she complained about pain in her abnormal, ab- abdominal area, and she had vaginal bleeding. Yeah. So she went to the John Hopkins Hospital and told them of her condition. The reason why she went to that hospital is because during that time... There was only so many hospitals that you can. There was only so many hospitals that you can go to uh, that would treat poor black people. So the, when she went there, she, upon examination, uh, renowned gynecologist Dr. Howard Jones discovered a large malignant tumor on her cervix, and that that showed that the malignant tumor was a sign of cervical cancer. So Mrs. Lack began undergoing radi- uh, radiation and treatments for her cervical cancer. And this was the best medical treatment available for her at the time because of the terrible disease that she had. Um, during a biopsy, a piece of her cell was taken from her and it was given to Dr. George Gay's nearby tissue lab. And for years, Dr. Gay had a prominent cancer and uh, virus researcher. He had been collecting cells from all patients who came to the John Hopkins Hospital with cervical cancer, but each sample quickly died in Dr. Gray's lab. But what was so special about uh, Henrietta's um, cells was that as soon as he got them, he noticed that they multiplied every 20 to, four, 20 to 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And so these incredible cells, now called HeLa cells, um, because of you know Henrietta Lacks cells, the first two letters of her first and last name, uh, they were able to be used to test and study the effects on toxins, drugs, hormones, viruses, and growth of cancer cells without experimenting on humans. And they have been tested for the effects of radiation and poison to study the human genome and to learn more about virus works and to play a crucial role in the development of the polio vaccine. So mm-hmm. her cells did a lot of good because they were the first what they considered to be immortal because they didn't die. They continued to live on. Yeah. And they're still if you th- like if you research it, they are still living on till this day. Mm-hmm. So although Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks um, passed away on October 4th, 1951, she was only 31 years old. Um, obviously, inevitably, the cancer um, did spread and took her life. But she is still impacting the world today, and her cells are still being used for research. So, 
Um, she's done a lot, not just for the black community solely, but you know, worldwide. So world. She it. has done a lot as far as cancer re research. So even though an injustice was done to her, um, because it leads to the bigger question right. about what happened. Because her cells did do a lot of good for the world and for modern medicine, but the cells were still taken from her body without her permission. That's right. And, you know, it leads to about a horrible, horrible history that, like, you know, the medical villain has had with black women, um, invalidating their bodies and taking and performing procedures on them without their consent. Right. So for Miss Henry Henrietta, even though she was with cervical cancer, she still did not give her permission for her cells to be taken from her body. Um, and that just shows, like, you know, the, the complexities that there are in this area. Because her cells did so much good, there was so much good that came from that, but it was done at her dignity. And we have to ask that question, like, you know, is that okay? Because it's for the greater good, or should, like, you know, we can, we, should we value each person's life at the same rate and wait for them to consent to be able to give up cells? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, like, you know, if she would have said no, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what would that have meant for as far as like cancer research? But at the end of the day, I believe that in this sense, yes, like the person has a right to choose as far as what is being done with what is a part of their body. Mm -hmm. You know, those cells were essentially taken from her. And so, of course, they led to a lot of discoveries and breakthroughs as far as cancer research and the development of the polio vaccine. That's one of the really great breakthroughs as far as um, the research that was done um, with her cells. But, um, you know, I do believe that this is almost, uh, it, it is uh, another, um, it is another um, way that we, um, that we can see where, you know, black women have been just like disrespected um, mm. and, really just seen as like objects mm -hmm. um in many senses so um yeah i think this is just another um example of that mm -hmm. and um you know i will i will say though even though that a misfortune was sent to her at least something came out of that misfortune mm -hmm. um so we can still honor her for that regardless of whether it was it was done with her consent or not um i think that we should still honor her and remember her as a hero because at the end of the day like her cells were you know very unique and that is what led to all these breakthroughs so mm -hmm. we need to honor henrietta Lacks. um we also honor her because she also talks like this is also giving light to things about consent because there have been many times throughout history that many medicines and medical researchers have taken over um the bodies of minorities to be able to perform procedures and you know this is giving us an opportunity to say you know where we allow should we allow it to happen or not that's right um mm -hmm. and um going from that um another thing that was created using her name um and that is used to honor her and it's titled the henrietta Lacks foundation and you can you know look into it you can also um you can also support by giving your money or whatever it is, but um, their goal is to help individuals who have made important contributions to scientific research without personally benefiting from those contributions, particularly those in research without their knowledge or consent, which, you know, is obviously why it's called the Henry Lacks Foundation, um, because she's more, most known for that. And this foundation was created in 2010 by Rebecca Skloot, who was also the author of the book that I referenced, which is called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And um, yeah, they really just wanted to highlight how 
you know, these things not only happened, they did not only happen to one person, they did not only happen to Henrietta Lacks, but this happened to many minorities um, in different communities, such as um, the Tuskegee syphilis, syphilis, Tuskegee syphilis studies, the human radiation experiments, et cetera, et cetera. Like, she's not the only one, and which is why, and unfortunately this continues to happen, um, even though technically nowadays you're supposed to be signing consent, but obviously these things will happen. And so they are providing assistance to these family and at least some form of financial, um, you know, benefit to them when these things are done to them without their consent. And essentially now, now today, illegally. Um, so it also seeks to promote public discourse concerning the role that contributions of biological materials play in scientific research and disease prevention, as well as issues related to consent and disparities in access to healthcare and research benefits, particularly for minorities and underserved communities. So please go and um, check this out and read more about that. So that concludes our um, episode on Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler and Henrietta Lacks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we are still continuing on with this series of underrated Black heroes um, for the next two weeks that remain in February. So please stay tuned for that. But something that is exciting that's coming up um, in the next two weeks as well is that the um, following weeks we will also be uploading video episodes on our YouTube page um, that is Tired. Um, and so you can go on YouTube or you can subscribe as well so that you can get notified when we do upload. But we will be uploading on the next two Fridays, so the remaining Fridays of February. And just stay tuned for what... Stay tuned for what those videos will be, um, but it's obviously going to have to do with something surrounding Black history, and it's going to be pretty fun. So, um, yeah, go ahead and check out our page, and like we said, review this episode or our previous episodes or just overall and let us know what you think. And as always, you can contact us via email at tiredpodcasts at gmail.com or on our Instagram page, there is a direct messaging option where you can also um, message us there. So whatever pleases you. But yes, thank you so much for tuning in. Until then, I'm Ayo Benny. I'm Kiki. And we are tired.